We're doing our series on Ephesians, and we've reached chapter 5 now, and I'm going to be talking about what I call two big threats to love. Uh, just a quick recap with Ephesians, it's, it's uh, in two halves. The first half is about the truth, the first three chapters are about explaining what is. Second part, 4 through 6, how we should live by this truth. So you get the idea, the solid foundation, and then what, how we live based on that foundation. And summarizing part one is a prayer that the Paul gives us to know the power of the Spirit in our inner person, the love of Christ, which is beyond knowledge, and the destiny of being the very dwelling place of God. And that's a summary of the foundation of who we are. So he then builds on that, and two weeks ago, we, we moved into chapter 4, and we saw an incredible passage where Paul gives God's vision for the church. And this is how we laid it out. God gave gifts to the church, and the purpose of these gifts was for the building up of the body. But the building up of the body would continue until we grew up into maturity, from being the church being like a child to the church being mature. And he says it's the maturity which is at the level of the measure of Jesus. Uh, and no longer children. And the key thing that changes it is, this, is, is, the, is love and truth. And love and truth coming together transform everything, move us to, to being gr grown up from being children. And we reach unity by every part of the body. Every single person using the measure of gifting that God has given them. Just like in a, in a body, you know, every part of the body has got its part to play. And he, Paul uses that image for the church growing up. And when we do that, the body is built up in love. And so what I'd like to do today is talk about these two big threats to love. And first of all, I'm going to do what I call the seven walks in Ephesians, which is on your sheet there. I'll take you through that. Then we'll look at the steps of walking in love, and then we're going to end by looking at how we receive this love of Jesus. So, the seven walks in Ephesians. Uh, we can look at your sheet now. Um, there are seven places where this expression walk occurs. Now, before we, you start reading, before you're getting distracted by your sheet, just let me say something. The, walk, the word walk is one that's very frequently used in the Old Testament for living your life. It's how you live your life. And frequently, the idea of, of, of um, the expression walking in God's ways is used for somebody who follows God. You walk in his ways, you walk in his law, and that image of walking is living your life. Now, we probably all know that because that kind of idea works in, in our language as well. But that's the image there that he's using, his Old Testament image for walking that he's now developing and taking forward. So let's have a little look then. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So that's the past. And then later in chapter 2, he moves in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created, this is the new creation in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared ahead of time 
that we should walk in them. So that's the foundation. That's those two belong to the first half of Ephesians, the first three chapters. You once walked by new creation to walk in a different way. And then we have five more walks in this practical half of Ephesians. We begin chapter 4. Therefore I appeal to you as a prisoner of the Lord to work worthy of the calling you've been called into. And this is how he launches this practical session. And then we have these uh, uh, four more calls. Verse 17, Therefore I say and I insist in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And then, and that we looked at that last week. And then the one we're going to look at this week is, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a fragrant aroma. And then next week's, therefore do not become fellow sharers with them, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. And then the passage after that, watch carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, why have I put these out on the sheet here? We're going to see that these are actually markers that he uses, like mini chapter markers in this section on how we live the life. So this section is actually divided up by these walk commands. And last week we looked at um, a walk command. So we've actually looked, we've done 4.1, then we did 4.17 last week. This week we're doing 5.2. So we're walking through the walks. I just came up with that. So we're walking through the walk. Um, I used to, there used to be near my, near my desk where I, where I study at home, used to be um, uh, a beautiful plant. Well, there still is one, but it's out of doors for the summer. But a beautiful plant in a pot. And um, as I went by every day, I'd, I'd notice it. And I, I noticed one time there was this tiny little thing growing up in it. And I looked, oh, that's interesting. And it grew up and it gave little leaves came out. So, oh, what is it? And then another one started growing up and growing these little leaves came out. And before long, there were four or five of them. And I was really curious, what's happening with these? And then one day they were all gone. Gone. And I'll tell you what happened in just a minute. So you'll find out why they went. Um, so that's going to be my illustration story for this passage. And you have to wait for how it turns out. So... Uh, let's come to de- up to to, uh, to date then with our, our study. Now, last week we looked at the Ephesians 4:17 walk, and uh, we looked at the question: How do I live this new life? And not only does Paul explain the power of uh, the new life, but he also lays out some very clear examples of this power in action in our daily activities, and. Uh, All of these were about love. And we saw last week that there was looking very much like the Ten Commandments. No, do not kill, do not steal, and so on. Except a crucial difference. There were two other things. Can you remember what it was? As well as a do not steal? What else was there? Hmm? 
yes, there was a motivation and a, and a suggestion. So do not steal. Instead, work and you know, work hard. And the motivation was, then you will have something to give to those who are in need. And so it does it the same. So it goes through all of these commandments. And the motivation is love. So instead of just giving a lot of commandments, what Paul does is he shows how love changes everything. And particularly, the ones he's been through are relational ones, primarily. So he goes through these relational commandments and shows how love actually empowers us to, to do these commandments. Um, now, last week, I kind of went through them fairly quickly. And I want to start this week just by spending a little bit of time on one I think is very important that we didn't spend a lot of time on, and that is anger. And Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, you don't have it on your sheet because it's from last week, but this is anger. And we read, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give an opportunity to the devil. So if you like, the first is the command. The second is an encouragement, like a positive thing, to make sure you know, your anger doesn't last longer than a day. And the, the last thing was the motivation. Um, now, is he telling us that we shouldn't be angry? Anger is wrong. Is he telling us that? I'm getting a, a no over there. What about this side? A no over this side? What about the middle? What do you think? No, there's a no from there as well. Okay, he's not telling us that anger is wrong. So um, what is it that's the, the, the issue then here? What's the problem? If anger's not wrong, what is it? Well, I would say it's to sit in our anger that's wrong here. To, to, just to sit in it, that's the problem. Um, so even modern medical science has determined that um, to somebody who's angry all the time is much more likely to die from a heart attack. I don't know if you've heard of the expression type A personality. Well, type A personality is somebody who is very highly motivated. They just go, but they can kind of get angry as well. And they used to, they used to say, well, type A personality correlates with heart problems. But then more research showed actually it wasn't the highly motivated person that was the issue. It was whether they were highly motivated and angry. Or in fact, they didn't even need to be motivated. They just needed to be angry and, st and store this anger. And the anger is like an acid inside you, which eats away at your system and gives you physical problems. And so what I want to suggest to you now is uh, what the passage is saying about how we can process the, the, this anger. So it only gives us one line, do not let the sun go down in your anger. And I want to just unpack that a little bit because I think this is so important. In fact, I think I, I should probably do a whole sermon on anger because it's such an important topic, really trying to understand what it's about. So processing anger. And the first thing I want to say is not spiritual bypassing. So this expression, spiritual bypassing, basically means, no, of course I'm not angry. I've given it to God, but you are. You've just pushed it down. You know, it's still there, but you just kind of push it away because it's not good for Christians to be angry. It's still there, and it's actually worse because it's now eating away at you. The problem is that anger is an energy. Anger is an energy designed to fix the problem. 
That's what the, that's why we're given anger, because the anger is there to motivate you to get to the source of the problem. And uh, so well, you need to allow that anger to act, to, to, to actually uh, advance uh, the solution a little bit. So let me give you a suggestion. Sit down and make a firm plan about what you're going to do before the sun goes down before the end of the day, to do that, to make a plan about what you're going to do. Now, this plan should include forgiveness of whoever it is that's, that's hurt you. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean just wiping the debt, saying, oh, no, there's no, there's no problem here. You know, um, you, don't need to, you don't need to pay for that. Um, no, forgiveness means wanting the person to be blessed. I mean, somebody who's committed a crime might need to be brought to justice so they don't do it to someone else. And you might still have to bring them to justice. But forgiveness means wanting their good eventually. You know, even if they get fined or go to prison, they need that because they need their, ultimately their good. And so forgiveness, which is often misunderstood, really means releasing the person from you know, being destroyed by your anger and wanting their good. But it still might mean that you have to have a hard, hard conversation with them. And I suggest that um, if it's another person, it may involve either talking to them or if you don't have an opportunity that day, planning to, but at least making some kind of plan. Um, so, uh, so I want, like, let me give you an example of this. Um, you may have heard of the organization Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Well, I don't know if you know where that came from. What was happening is um, people were being killed on the roads by drunk drivers, and the driver would go to court, and the judge would say, oh, um, I tip, we'll, we'll let you off this time, but don't do it again, or you'll be fined a bit. And it was terrible, and it was almost no penalty for killing somebody when you're drunk. And the mothers would get so angry about this. But anger is supposed to do something. So what they did is they started connecting together and they used that anger to, as an energy to create an organization which started lobbying and got the law changed and actually made a difference. Because that is what anger is supposed to do. Anger is actually an energy designed to, to deal with the real evil that's there, that's underneath everything. And so we need to understand that. This is, why, this is what God's anger is about when he's angry with something. And uh, so we need to understand that. Um, so what about in our life? Uh, we, might, we, have to, we have to think what is in what would be a response that we can have to this that's happened. So we might, for example, say, well, I'm not going to say anything this time, but if they do this again, I'm going to raise this as a problem that they've done. And, and just be very clear that I don't think this is appropriate to do this. And we might make a plan on how we're going to react, and then we can rest, and we can say, okay, I've got a plan now if it happens again. Um, it's, uh, it may be we're driving on the highway, and somebody is just cuts us off and just behaves terribly and we're really angry with them, you, you know, none of you suffer from road rage, I'm sure, but, uh, you know, so, you know, you're really angry with the, the way they behaved. So, you know, what do you do about that? Well, I, I heard something recently that I personally found very helpful, not that I suffer from road rage, of course, uh, but something I found very, very helpful. What you do is when there's some anger 
and it's something that you've got no control over whatsoever, you know, like another vehicle or something. What you do is you have a habit of linking that with some thanksgiving. So what you say, okay, well, what can I be thankful for? Well, I can be thankful that there are not more people like that and that we live in a country where you know, there's some accountability and people do get pulled over for that and there's not that many people that are gunning other people down on the highway. You know, the roads are relatively safe. Thank you, God, that, you know, that you've kept me safe on this journey and the roads are relatively safe. And the same kind of thing can be done with them. Um, sometimes we can be angry at society. We can ang be angry at institutions, at bureaucracy that we don't, can't do anything about. Um, but we can do the same thing. Lord, thank you that at least I'm in a society that has some value on this, that I'm not living in the, under, under chaos or despotism or whatever. Thank you, God, for that. Um, or it could be that we think, oh, you know, what could I personally, is there anything I could personally do to deal with this issue in my life? What could I do? But So recognize the anger has to be dealt with or it will eat into us. It's an energy that God's given us. It has to be dealt with, even if the dealing with it is forgiving the person and just allowing some more time. Uh, it has to be dealt with. Now, what about this last phrase that he gives? Do not give opportunity for the devil. What's that about? Can you suggest? Do you want to give opportunity for the devil? Hmm? It tempts us into evil. Right, okay, okay. And why is it specifically anger that he says for this and not any of the other ones? And why is this particularly in the context of Ephesians of love and truth? Exactly. So what happens? Anger destroys unity if it's not dealt with. It destroys unity. And what does Satan want more than anything else? He wants to destroy unity. Because it's the unity of the body that gives it its strength, that gives it its growth, and it's a threat to him. And so right from the beginning, he has been one who wants to destroy unity between God and humanity, between people right from the beginning. So that is why it is so important that anger here is dealt with. Um, so <clears throat> let's, let's uh, so that was the, the first thing I wanted to cover uh, the, from the seven walks. I'd now like to look at the steps that you have at the, uh, on Ephesians 5 on the page I've handed out, steps to walking in love. And then we'll, looking, we'll look at um, <clears throat> how this works out. So now we come then to the, this, nec this next walk passage. And there's no mention, by the way, of the seventh commandment, the not commit adultery, in the um, uh, previous list of commands. And if you like, he's expanding that command in this section here. Let's read this through. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor giving of sarcastic ridicule, which are out of place, but instead... 
let there be giving of thanks. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, covetous, therefore an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of this, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So let's just look at how it's written to start with. Those of you who come regularly will, will know that uh, I like to do this and notice the, the, just the, the careful way that this is laid out. And it's using a, a structure. It starts with A, then B, C, and then back to B in verse 5, and then to A in verse 6. And so we can see how this is paralleled. So we start off with beloved children. This is a description. Beloved children, and the, the, it ends with the wrath of God coming on the sons of disobedience. And so this is like an opposite. It starts with one and it comes built down to the opposite. And so we have here this list, sexual immorality, impurity, or covetousness, and these are exactly mirrored in verse 5. Sexual immorality, impure or covetous, exactly the same words are used. And it's like brackets around the middle part. And in the middle part, he's got filthiness, foolish talk. And I've translated this giving of sarcastic ridicule. Now, I've, I've done that because you, you won't find it in your Bible translated like that, because I'm trying to show how he's used an expression in the Greek that's very, very similar to giving of thanks. And it like they mirror one another. It's the same sound to the word. Giving of sarcastic ridicule is the opposite of giving of thanks. And so, if you like, the key point that changes everything in this passage is giving thanks, which is interesting given that's how I just suggested it being an answer to anger. Um, so, uh, this then is, the, is the, the, the walk that he's given here. Now, um, this seems very strong. This seems like a very, very, like he says, um, they've got these people that do this have got no inheritance of the kingdom of God. God's anger is coming on them. Um, does this talking about salvation by works, that we become God's children by, by, by works? Is this what it's talking about? You know, if you're good enough and you don't do enough bad things, you'll go to heaven. Is that what it's saying? Yeah, I, I can see a lot of heads being shaken here. Um, does somebody want, yeah? Okay, I, you've put your finger on it there, I think, correctly. It's talking about our identity. And so it's like a sign for, of our identity. Because it, it, it says, um, you know, if you are beloved children, then this, this will be your, your identity. And if you behave in this other way, then it's not your identity. You're not, your identity is not one of God's children, but your identity is one of the sons of disobedience. Now, uh, I'm just going to look at a couple of passages uh, that are parallel to this, and we're done with this now, Peter. Uh, so I'm going to go back and look at... Um, uh, I'm going to suggest that what he's saying here is that if you have the new life in Christ, you have a choice about living out of the new, which won't be behaving in these kind of ways. You've got the choice because your DNA is to show the love of Jesus. And the key thing here is if one of the children of God, you can say no to these things. So let's look at a couple of similar passages. Galatians 5, 
19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, similar things I'm warning you, as I've warned before, those who in practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, uh, I've not actually got the verse in there, but in this passage in Galatians, he talks about the words of the flesh, but he says, but you are not living according to the flesh, you're living according to the spirit. Your identity has changed. You are living out of something different. And now we're going to look at Colossians. And I've said before, Colossians is like a sister epistle to Ephesians. They're very, very similar, probably written just to different churches at the same time. And it's very helpful seeing the parallel in Colossians to understand sometimes what's in Ephesians. And so in Colossians 3, 5 and 6, we read, So put to death whatever in your nature belongs to the earth, sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. So something very similar, except he, it explains it a bit more, that this can be put to death, anything that's left inside of us that belongs to the old nature. And we saw... Uh, earlier on in our study that Paul says you've got a new, you're a new creation, you have a new nature, and you can choose whether you live out of the new or the old. Your, your new identity or the bits of your old identity that are still there. So this is very helpful because it shows that these sins are still all within us and they need to be dealt with. Let me just summarize what, how this how. Uh, what this means. It's not about falling into sin, but choosing to stay in it. So all of us fall into sin. All of us fall attempted by this bad stuff that's listed there. All of us do. This isn't about, you know, if you ever fall into that, you know, if, if you once have a bad thought, then you're a son of disobedience. You know, you're not going, you're not part inheriting God's kingdom. No, it's, a, it's about choosing to stay in it. He doesn't say, avoid these things and you'll be saved. Instead, these things are signs of the old, not the new. It's ultimately about who you are, not what you do. But what you do does reveal who you are. So the command is to let who you are now override who you were. Now, I told you I'd finish the story about finding those little, little plants growing in, in the pot. Well, it turned out they'd all gone because Anne had removed them. <laughs> so I said, why did you remove them? I was interested in what they were. She said, they're weeds. Okay, so what would be the problem allowing the weeds? Would the weeds actually turn the plant, big plant into a weed? No, they don't threaten the identity of the plant. So what, tell me, what's the problem with the weeds? They choke it out, exactly. They will actually stop it growing properly. They, they could grow up bigger. They could block the light coming. They could suck all the nutrients out of the soil. They could damage the, the plant. And this is what, this, what the call is for us. He's not saying avoid these things because uh, you'll, you'll go to hell. He's saying avoid these things because these are the kind of things that send people to hell and they're not going to do you any good. So avoid them because they're not part of your identity. So I think it's crucial that we understand this, that it's because it could damage us. Now here's 
one of the most important things I want to, I want to talk about today. Um, why is it sexual sins he brings here? Um, you know, um, people have got a caricature of Christians, you know, Christianity, oh, that's just about, you know, they're, they're against sex. That's, you know, it's kind of a caricature. Um, why is it that it's sexual sin? And it's not just sexual sin. It's also exploiting one another, if you look in there. It's about defrauding one another, exploiting one another. And um, it's, um, why, why is that? Is that because they're the worst sins? No, they're not the worst sins. Um, are all sins the same? All sins equal? I'm, no, okay. I'm seeing, okay, so what would be a worse sin? Does God have any sins that he thinks are particularly bad? Okay, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Uh, what might be, what was the original sin that, um, that Satan was cast down from heaven for? Pride. Pride. What kind of thing got Jesus particularly angry? Pride and unbelief. So I would say pride and unbelief are amongst the worst sins. And so it's not that the sexual sins are the worst sins, but what is the problem with them? Why does Paul give them space here? And there's a very good reason. Because they're like poison to the new life of love. They're like poison to love in the body because they damage deep love and trust. Because if you have a community where people are becoming really open to one another, they're really just uh, allowing um, one another just to see their lives, and you're having a, a spirit of love in the community, then if some, some sexual exploitation comes in, that is so damaging. It's so damaging. It's the worst thing you can do. It's poison. Also, if there's financial exploitation or something else that comes in, it is so damaging. And this is what Satan tries to use and unfortunately has used. And you know, you see things like this in the news. He uses this because it destroys trust. And when you destroy trust, you can't have that kind of deep, open love, which you need to have. So this is why he's so focusing on this, not because it's the worst, but because it's going to come up if we're trying to live a community where we are going to major on love. So, um, so I really want to highlight that. And that's why I've called my message, that I, the, the, the title of this message, Two Big Threats to Love. Because if we are going to, as a church, try and move forward in, 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 in unity together, we have to give special attention to this, that we create a trust which is genuine, which is real, um, in these two things. And um, uh, as I said, and both of them, unfortunately, we've seen the church vulnerable to saints' attacks in these, area, in these areas. So... Uh, that's, so that's my, the verses that I have there. And um, I want to um, just go back to them just briefly. The reason why it's phrased, um, will not inherit, is because it's about our participation in the new creation. So it says here, um, let's just scroll down here to the bottom, our inheritance in the kingdom of God. It's about our participation in new creation. And if you have no inheritance, you're not children. And so you're not showing signs of belonging to this future kingdom. 
So what if you are sitting in this way? What if you are falling into this? What if there's something like this in your life right now? Um, I want to say, how did Jesus respond to the woman who was taken in adultery? He said, he said I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. So Jesus has paid you for your sin, but Jesus says, go and sin no more. And, you know, if you, if you have some errors, you know, in your thought life or, or you know, part of your hidden areas of your life that are in this, then really come to Jesus about this and ask him for the strength to live out of the new and not out of the old, because this is such a dangerous and damaging potential that it has. So the point I think Paul is trying to make here is not to discourage us, but to encourage us. And that's how I want to end this message today. I want to talk about my third point, receiving the love of Jesus. Because I want to argue, and I'm just going to be fairly brief on this, but this is really the most important part of this message. The antidote to this fake love, this, this uh, sexual immorality, the antidote, as with all the other commands, is receiving the true love of Jesus. And if we really receive his love, then we will be empowered against the other love, the, the, the fake love. So focusing on the love of Christ in our new identity is the greatest way of being empowered. So, so if we are, if it's a new identity that creates a new way of living, then the new identity is built around being loved by, by Jesus and having this new relationship. So I just want to focus, as we close today, on this new relationship and how it has got this power to keep us in living the new life. So I'm just going to look at a, a couple of places. And the first one is, is chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And this is... Um, this is the, the verse is part of the foundation that Paul gives us. And I'm going to actually look at chapter 2, verse 4, and um, verse 4 through to verse 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even though we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved raised us up together and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he's joined us to Jesus. So we're made alive together with Jesus. We're raised with Jesus and we're seated with Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he may display the immeasurable great riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So if you like, this is your destiny that your destiny is to display the love of God, that people look at you and say, wow, look at that display of God's love. That's why God has saved you, to be able to display his love through you. And so he says, in, this com in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through, the, through his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. And so... I just want you to take that in. I just want you to, to, um, to think about that. The love that's beyond compare. The love that cannot be matched. The love that um, there's neither height nor depth nor, nor, nor 
breadth nor length nor any other thing that can separate us from this love. This love of Jesus that is so, so compellingly passionate that it was with joy he went to the cross because he could see us and we are his love. And so I want you to actually just feel that love because it's that love in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit that will empower you. So just take a moment to, to feel the love of God through these words that he's set on you. He has chosen you and will, will be with you for eternity, displaying his love through you. Jesus has got such a delight in you. And I'd like to, to end by looking at these verses here that we looked at in this passage and just look at the, the first two verses there. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. What a lovely motivation. You know how children imitate their parents. I don't know if you, if you have watched any children recently. Um, um, this one's a little too young, I think, to be doing that. But, you know, they imitate their parents. I remember when I was, when I was uh, five or six, I managed to, somebody gave me a plastic steering wheel that I could hold in the car. And when my dad was driving, he was in the front seat and he'd turn and I would pretend to turn the car, like copying what he was doing. Because, you know, kids love to copy their parents and, and they're imitating. And he says, like, your beloved children, like, imitate your, imitate your God because you know, you're his child, you have his DNA. And walk in love, and the motivation here, and this is, where, this is where I want to end with, the motivation in verse two, walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering, a sacrifice to God for a fragrant aroma. What a motivation. I want to leave that with you today. And I want to say that if you're not a follower of Jesus today, then I want to, to point out what, you, what you're missing here, what you could have. This is what you could have. And if you, are, if you, um, if you don't put out, if, if you're um, um, not a follower of Jesus, then there's, there's not this, this love in you to motivate you. But the great good news is that this is available to you. It's offered for free. You can ask God to take away all of the weeds, to remove all of the weeds and give you his love. And if you come to him sincerely, he will do that for you. So, so let's, uh, I'd like actually just to close by reading these together and the worship team can come up and we'll, we'll, we'll sing praise to God. But let's just, if you want to read this aloud with me. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a fragrant aroma. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord, we pray that you will touch each one of us here with your love. Your, that we would feel your love so strongly that we won't even want to sin. We won't want to do this bad stuff because we are so full already with your love. Lord, thank you for the love. Fill us this week. May we have a sense more and more during this coming week of this love deeply within us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.